Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. The scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The word of the Lord. Thank you for reading that for us, Um, and good morning. As Graham said, my name is Andrew Terrell, and uh, go to church here weekly with my family, but um, do also have the privilege of serving with RUF International, Um, yeah, as Graham mentioned, and uh, Happy New Year to all of you. It's great to be with you in this capacity this morning. Um, I'd actually like to pray before before we dive in, so let me pray briefly. Father, I simply want to ask that you would give us ears to hear what it is uh, you want to communicate to our souls this morning. Help us not to be distracted. Help us to be honest with ourselves and dig deep into your words together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, New Year's Day, it can be a bit of a strange day right? Uh, It's not just because we're all tired from staying up too late, um, or if you're like me, maybe tired from having a two-week-old at home, or tired from watching the Georgia Bulldogs win last night. Am I the only one? Okay, I'll I'll stop. I won't do any of that. Um, But I also think it's a strange day because most of us take some time to look back on the past year, and sometimes what we see is just our failures and our regrets, Or sometimes what we see is our successes and our joys, or a mixture of the two. And so we look to the coming year with the hope that it'll be different from last year's failures. And it's going to be even better than last year's successes. And underneath all of that, for many of us, there can still kind of be this lurking longing to get more from life. And we feel that in maybe an acute way on New Year's Day. Um, Actually, Graham said it similarly, right? Earlier he said, we are not who we want to be. We are not as we should be. We have that feeling. Um, And there's an author and priest named Tish Harrison Warren who recently wrote about uh, a little bit of this feeling. She said, the holiday season is a lonely time for many of us. No matter how many family members or friends we have, no matter how delicious the food on the table, in the quiet moments, many of us still uh, feel a lack, a pang in our hearts the recurrent ache of longing. 
We long for peace that we cannot conjure on our own. We long for joy that isn't quite so elusive. We long for relationships that last. It's the common human yearning for a wholeness and flourishing that we do not yet know. And so if you think about it, uh, maybe that doesn't describe you, but I think it describes a lot of us. And if you think about it, it's sort of funny that what we do on this day with this ache of longing, as she calls it, is that we sit down and we set goals, (laughs) you know? Um, We we make New Year's resolutions. We get started on our self-improvement projects. We decide that I'm going to make this year better than last year. Um, but, and Graham kind of mentioned this as well, but according to the Statistic Brain Research Institute, I did actually go and look this up, around half of all Americans say they usually make New Year's resolutions, but only 8% of them are successful in keeping their goals. Okay, I know I'm sounding really cynical, uh, I'm putting a damper on your New Year's Day, but I actually don't think New Year's resolutions are uh, a bad practice, I, I usually make some myself, but here's why I point all this out, it has to do with the passage that we're going to look at today. In this passage, Jesus is urging us to do much more than set goals, to marginally improve ourselves this year. He wants us to address that underlying longing and ask the more profound question, what am I building my life upon? Is it going to be the rock or is it going to be the sand? It's a pretty simple question, but it's a deep one. So this morning, instead of uh, our resolutions, we're going to focus for a little bit on our foundations. Uh, Henry Nouwen said it this way, optimism and hope are radically different attitudes. Optimism and hope. Optimism is the expectation that things will get better. Hope is the trust that God will fulfill his promises to us in a way that leads us to true freedom. So resolution setting maybe is more a form of optimism. If I work hard this year, I can make things better. And that might be true to some degree, and there's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus wants us to seek not just optimism, but real hope. Not just self-improvement, but true freedom. And you know, in the text uh, we just read, Jesus tells this parable of these two people. One of them builds his house on the foundation of rock, and the other on the sand. And then both of them go through the great storm. And so Jesus is saying, we all build houses, we all experience storms, and therefore we all need to examine our foundations to see whether they will hold. And so we'll explore this passage under those three settings, um, but starting with the same letter, of course. The structures we build, the storms that will inevitably come, and the foundation of stone. The structure, the storm, and the stone. And so notice what Jesus says when he compares the wise person and the foolish person. Foolish person. He says in verse 24, what does the wise person do? He hears Jesus' words, and he builds a house. In verse 26, what does the foolish person do? Hears Jesus' words and builds a house, right? Everyone is in the construction business. Both the foolish and the wise To live is to construct a life based upon something, whether it's a philosophy, a dream, a desire, a set of principles. It may be conscious and specific, or we may be completely unaware of what we're building upon. And you know, we want the the quick and easy solution, don't we? The, The throw up the house at the lowest cost, the fastest pace, with the best possible external appearance. This is true of human, the human heart in general, I think, but especially those of us who live and breathe New York City, we're looking for that shortcut, that fast way from A to B or A to Z. 
But Jesus is asking us today to pause and consider very carefully what we are building and what we are building it upon. Um, Like I said, I work with international students at Columbia, and the students in our group are amazing. They come from every different religious and cultural background. They're brilliant people. They're the future leaders in their fields. And um, I had the privilege of studying this passage with them this semester, and we sort of explored our hopes and dreams together, these people who are going to go out and lead the world. Uh, And the terminology we use to describe this is false hopes versus true hope. A false hope is anything you build your life upon that will ultimately let you down in the end. False hopes promise to fulfill you, to give you a good life, to bring you joy, but they cannot fulfill these promises. Take, for example, what many of us think about in New York City, career success. It's not a bad thing to spend your time and your energy on your career, right? But here's the problem with the human heart. We don't want to just be successful in our careers. We want to prove our essential worth through our careers, See, false hopes want to take over and become the central driving force. Or as John Calvin said, the human heart is an idol factory. For you, it may not be career success. Maybe it's um, the simple pursuit of pleasure and comfort. What could be wrong with that? Or maybe it's a desire for a life that feels controlled and perfected. Or it could be so many other things. I'll tell you one particularly dangerous and deceptive false hope from personal experience which is attempting to gain approval of others through the outward appearance of being a good Christian minister. It's not bad for me to want to preach a good sermon to you this morning, to encourage you, but in preparation, I found that my heart almost immediately moves over and over to wanting to preach a sermon that will make you say, wow, he's amazing. (laughs) He's wise, and he sounds like a really good person. But do you see the sinister thing that's happening there when I'm doing that? Our hearts are being pulled by the temptation to build our whole lives upon a false hope. But friends, false hopes are not foundations. They're only sand. So I wonder if you ever think about your life as one long building project, as each day, each task, each thought even is another brick laid, another nail hammered in, another piece of furniture eventually, right, placed thoughtfully arranged in the room. Remember, we're all in the construction business. Um, Author Annie Dillard has this quote that inspires me, but also kind of haunts me. She says, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And I think the point she's making is that the way we feel each minute, each hour, each day is not random or unimportant. The way that we spend that time reveals what we believe the purpose to be underneath all of it. That hour of vegging out on your couch, not saying it's wrong, but it's building something. The day spent caring for your sick child who's home from school, you're building something. The minute-by-minute checking of your phone is also building something. The slow time used up listening to someone tell their story is building something. And I want us to notice this about false hopes as well that I think is in Jesus' parable which is that just by looking at them from the outside, you can't tell the difference between a structure built on sand and a structure built on rock. There's something very deceptive about that. They often look the same. Maybe your life looks put together and beautiful on the outside, but what is it built upon? Uh, Probably most of you have either seen or maybe visited St. John the Divine, the beautiful cathedral um, up in Morningside Heights. 
right by Columbia. Uh, if you don't know a little bit about the history, it was planned out in the late 1800s, and it was supposed to be this most astounding new structure in Manhattan, right? At the time, we didn't have as many uh, tall buildings, and the plot they picked out was, of course, up on a high point. Um, it would be this, this uh, astounding cathedral, and the, the main tower was supposed to be almost 500 feet high. But here's the problem. After an opening ceremony with lots of pomp and celebration and all the rich and powerful people of the day were there, uh, and then I'm going to quote this article. It says, During the spring of 1893, workmen began to dig. They found not solid rock, but springs, decomposing schist, sand, clay, loose boulders, and shale. Now, I'm not going to claim to know what all of those words mean. Um, I know at least one engineer in the room who probably knows what those things mean. Uh, she's a friend of mine. <laughs> uh, another publication called The New York World said, fruitless digging, they declared in a headline. The article said that crews excavated a pit for and digging and building and rebuilding, they were able to construct a beautiful church that you see today. But still, 130 years later, number one, it's still under construction. And number two, they still have an ongoing battle with the natural springs underneath the church that flood the basements and regularly erode the walls. And that almost 500-foot tower had to be cut down to a fraction of its size because the foundation could never support it. It's a fascinating story, right? A little piece of New York history. But here's the point. You may build a life on the outside that looks great. Both the wise man and the fool go out and build a house. You may even build something that looks like a beautiful church, a life full of moral uprightness and good works. But if it's not built on the solid rock, it cannot hold itself up. And eventually, warns Jesus, in strong language, it will all come crashing down. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. And so this brings us to our second point, which is that the storms of life always come. Uh, notice in verse 25, and again in verse 27, Jesus says, The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. And again, this is both the wise man and the foolish man. In other words, the Christian life is not a guarantee of an easy life, or even of a happy life. The storms are universal, suffering is part of life. And if you bear with me for a moment, don't worry, we'll also see how the sun will come out. I know I'm being dark. It's not all storms. But first, let's take a closer look at Jesus' description of these storms. Uh, they seem to have three elements, the rains, the winds, and the streams. And I'm going to take a bit of creative license here. I'm not 100% sure that this is what Jesus meant. Uh, but I think each of these elements can be helpful for us understanding how we experience suffering. First, the rain. Um, rain comes down. And I think this is describing the trials that seemingly come down from above. We could call it the vertical storm. Things that feel like, is this just from God's own hand? 
We can't pinpoint a cause. It's just the awful things that happen in life, like getting laid off from a job, not because of failure on your part, but economic downturn, or a loved one getting a terrible sickness that they don't deserve, um, or even just days when everything seems to go wrong. Now, this could be a whole other sermon that I definitely don't have time or space for here, but there are those times when we simply don't have an explanation for the suffering we experience. The rain comes down. But there's also the wind, right? The wind blows and beats against the house, and wind comes in from the side, doesn't it? I think the wind represents the trials that come from around us, meaning from other people, from human-caused suffering. We could call this the horizontal storm. It's as simple as, you know, that unkind word from a friend that hits just at the wrong place at the wrong time. It could be as massive as an unjust war in which thousands die. All, this is all the unjust abuses and mistreatments we go through in life. The winds blow and beat. And finally, the streams rise, right? These are the trials rising up from within, the floods, the inner storm, all the suffering we cause to ourselves. We don't like to admit it, but much of our suffering is due from our own selfishness, our own greed, our secret lusts. We harm those that we love, we squander opportunities that are given to us, and we sink into depressions. So as we look to the coming year ahead, do we have a foundation that can withstand all these storms? In other words, is there anything in your life that can't be taken away by suffering? Jesus is giving us two things here. First is a warning. If you build your life on anything but the foundation of rock, when the storm comes, when the suffering comes, the house will not stand. And maybe you've felt this for yourself. You've, you've experienced the fact that money doesn't help you in the, the real storms. Career success doesn't help you in the storm. Even the best spouse cannot be your foundation in the storms of life. And if you've lost a job or lost a relationship and realized how much of your life or your identity depended on that thing or that person, maybe you've felt this a little bit. And this is Jesus' warning. Don't build your life on that sand. But he also gives us a second thing, which is an invitation. An invitation. And so we've looked at the structures, the storms, but now let's look at the stone. What is that one true foundation for life, according to Jesus? In verse 24, it says, Everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise man. But then in verse 26, everyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. So we see the obvious one difference here is whether or not we put Jesus' words into practice. Not just hearing them, but living them and doing them and leaning into the words of Jesus. Now there's an easy moralistic interpretation we could make here. We could understand Jesus to be saying that to build your house on the rock, to, to put his words into practice, is simply to live a good Christian life, to follow all the rules faithfully. Um, and if you boil down every other major world religion and philosophy, that's basically what they all teach as well, with lots of other complexities and nuances. But it's if you obey enough, it's if you're good enough, if you align with the principles enough. But this can't be what Jesus means. Um, and, and I'll give you two reasons why. First of all, we know this can't be true through experience. We've all felt firsthand how building your life upon your own good works and achievement is, is only sand. 
in the end. Maybe you've gotten a small glimpse of that yourself. Um, But when real suffering comes, we feel our limitations. We feel our dependence. Or as C.S. Lewis says, suffering is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. But there's an even stronger reason why the moralistic interpretation of what Jesus is teaching here can't be right. And it's the context. The context of this parable is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And if you uh, know this, this passage of Scripture, um, these few verses we're studying are, are the concluding words of a long sermon that Jesus gave across those three chapters, and it's commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. Good job. I see some of you knew it. You were nodding your heads. You get extra points. Um, perhaps the central message uh, of the Sermon on the Mount is to point out the impossibility of following the law perfectly and thereby to show our need to trust in Jesus instead of our ability. So when Jesus says everyone who hears these words in this concluding part of his sermon, he's talking about all three chapters, the whole sermon, those words. He's saying, I have come to fulfill the law in your place because you can't do it on your own. Therefore, everyone who hears these words you see? So what is the foundation of stone upon which Jesus invites us to build? It's not our attempts to follow him. The foundation is Jesus himself. His invitation is not to a set of principles or to a moral standard. His invitation is to build your life on him, on a person. And Jesus would have expected his original listeners to understand that when he talked about the rock, he meant God. And if you know the Old Testament, you'll know there are many references to God as the rock. I'll, I'll just draw out one for a moment, which is Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8. And I love this psalm. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and the God who saves me. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him. God is a refuge for us. So I think what Jesus is doing is taking these ancient words about the Hebrew God that these listeners would have known and saying, I'm the rock. I've come to you in the flesh. Come now and find rest in me. Place your hope in me. Let me be your fortress and your salvation. I will be your refuge. Come and trust in me. Pour out your hearts to me. I will be your rock. And because Jesus is a suffering Savior, when we face the storms of life, we can know that he has already gone through those storms for us, and he's still standing. If we think about the rain, the vertical storm, it's the suffering of God's just judgment against our unrighteousness. It comes down from above. And on the cross, Jesus was the rock who bore the brunt of this storm for us. When God the Father poured out his wrath on his own Son, in our place. And if we think about the wind, the horizontal storm, it's our experience of the injustice of other people towards us. And on the cross, Jesus was beaten by the wind of human abuse and betrayal so that he could redeem the injustice of the world. And the rising flood, this inner storm, is ultimately the sickness we feel in our own hearts. It's our experience of our own inner evil And on the cross, Jesus took on our sickness onto himself and absorbed that flood for us. There's no suffering that Jesus has not experienced, and yet he still stands 
in a resurrection life, an immovable stone. And I love that we sang uh, in Christ alone earlier. In the first verse, it says, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Right? Beautiful words. But now I lost my place in my notes. <laughs> so, so here's the thing about false hopes. They don't love you. They don't care about you. They won't suffer for you. And they certainly will not uphold you in the storm. But Jesus is inviting you to build your life upon him instead because he loves you. And he's already withstood the storms for you. And so what is there left to fear? Now, this is all great in in concept, um, but we've still kind of been up here, right? What about, as we think about the coming year, what does it look like in practical terms for people with, with busy lives, with demanding jobs, to, to build our foundation upon Jesus as our rock? And so we need to meditate a little bit on this metaphor of a foundation, putting a foundation into stone. Let's get a little bit literal. And again, for my structural engineer friends, please forgive me if I make some mistakes here, but it's all for the sake of a metaphor, Okay. The first thing you should notice about putting a foundation into stone is that you have to dig deep. You have to dig deep. Manhattan skyscrapers are a great example of this. It was fun going down some, some rabbit trails, um, learning about some of this stuff. In order to build the foundation for a skyscraper, you first have to dig through all the initial layers of earth until you get to the bedrock. And then you have to drive deeper and deeper into the bedrock until you have enough of a foundation that the massive structure above will be secure. Uh, One World Trade extends 150 feet underground, and 80 feet of that is rock anchors in bedrock. Did I get that right? More or less? Yes. Okay. Um, Friends, in order to build our lives upon Jesus, we need to dig deep. And so for many of us this year, this may mean pushing past the ways that we normally operate at the surface level, concerns and ambitions, and pushing past that into the difficult parts of our stories. Maybe it means going to counseling, digging deeper into your soul in ways that you've been avoiding. Um, As Frederick Buechner famously said, you have to listen to your life. Uh, We also have to do this digging deep in community, right? No skyscraper was ever built by one person. We have to talk to real friends about real hard things. People who will ask you those difficult questions about yourself and will go deeper with you into Jesus, into the rock. Maybe that means joining a CG this year to meet those kinds of people if you don't have them in your life. Or if you have a more immediate need, contact our church's diaconate. That's what they're in the business of doing. They love digging deep with you, praying with you, talking with you. That's what they're there for. As Psalm 62 says, we have to learn how to pour out our hearts to God, to be brutally honest with God in prayer as we dig deep together. And the second thing about digging a foundation in the rock is it's slow progress, but you have to keep going. It's slow progress, but you have to keep going. Think about it. This is not, uh, this is not modern day construction Jesus is talking about. This is 2,000 years ago when Jesus told this parable. There's no dynamite that can blast into rock. There's no uh, heavy industrial drilling machinery. Imagine the time that went into building a structure 
on stone. So Jesus is saying to his listeners who would have known this well, this is going to be slow progress, but keep going. In other words, it's more important to be faithful than it is to produce immediate results. And this is so hard for us as New Yorkers, isn't it? Eugene Peterson called this the long obedience in the same direction. Man, we don't want that, right? We want the quick obedience in sort of whichever direction feels right that day. Uh, This means little practical things with our chisel and hammer every day. Reading the Bible every day. Carving out time to pray every day, even just for short short amounts of time. And yes, showing up to CG every week. Being with those people. And, And just to be clear, this is not about checking legalistic boxes to try and measure up to God. It's actually quite the opposite. It's the slow work of learning to depend on God as our rock precisely because we don't measure up and we need him. And so this applies to how we think about New Year's resolutions as well. What would it look like to base our resolutions around the slow, faithful process, digging out foundations rather than the desire for quick and easy changes and improvements? How can you set up rhythms in your how can you set up rhythms and relationships this year that will encourage you to keep going even when it's difficult, even when it's slow? So we have to dig deep, we have to go slow, but keep going, and finally, we have to learn how to rest and trust in the foundation. Many of us know intellectually Jesus is our foundation. We've studied this passage times before, um, and yet, if you look closely at our lives, you'll see that we live as if it's up to us during the storm to hold up the house. And so we live with this anxiety that it could all fall apart if we don't do enough. Friends, if your foundation is in Jesus Christ, there's nothing in this world or in the next that can cause your life to fall apart. Not in the way that matters. So Jesus doesn't want us to have our foundation in him just for the sake of eternal security. He wants us to have our foundation in him so we can enjoy that freedom today so that we can live peacefully and joyfully in the house that we've built upon him. And here's the other thing about this kind of freedom. Once you realize you don't have to constantly worry about keeping it all together, you can actually take your focus off your own house, and you can start to help others build theirs. This type of security and freedom empowers us to go out and to serve and to love others in risky and bold ways. If I know my foundation will never fail, I'm free to sacrifice my time, my money, my resources for other people. And this might look different for all of us, but we need to think about these things. Let me put it simply. Jesus wants us to enjoy the freedom of a life built upon the rock, not constantly worrying about the storms, but freed up to spend our time and energy loving and serving him and others. Let me end with a story. Um, There's a a man named Reverend Charles Sherrod, and you probably haven't heard of him. I hadn't until recently. Reverend Sherrod was a pastor and a civil rights leader who died this past fall quietly at the age of 85. And I want to quote at length from a recent article about his life that was written by a historian uh, who spent years interviewing and studying him, who actually happens to be a friend of mine. And she writes this. In 1961, Sherrod and several others were thrown into prison in Rock Hill, South Carolina, in their attempt to challenge segregation. They were beaten, mocked, and finally put into terrifying solitary confinement known as The Hole for refusing to stop singing hymns during their morning devotions. 
Sherid knew the rural south. He understood how easily he might be killed. But Sherid recounted to me, this is the author writing, I was already in my progress of praying to take away fear. So he prayed from the whole. In a passage that would become a touchstone in his life, indeed one read at his funeral came to him. And we all know this passage. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in that moment, he believed it to his depths. Not even death could separate him from Jesus. So he had nothing to fear. Sherid was free, and he would live with this fearless assurance of God's love for the rest of his life. As he told me, those verses have led me through my life and led me into the slashing of fear, with whom I stood before men who have slain many black men, men whom I knew had killed blacks before they stood before me, and I stood before them without fear, without one shaking finger or knee, knowing that the Lord was with me. Wow. Beautiful story of a life, isn't it? Friends, don't you see how different this is than making resolutions and trusting in your own abilities? This is the true, unshakable foundation of God's love. A life built on this rock doesn't offer us mere happiness. It offers us a life shot through with meaning and purpose and fearlessness, even in the face of danger. A life no storm can threaten. And look, we may not all be called to such heroic things as Reverend Sherrod was, but we're all called to hear the words of Jesus and to put them into practice, to live by them. We're all called to radical generosity and service, even in the small everyday things, because the way we spend our days is, of course, the way we spend our lives. And that kind of life is only possible when Jesus is your rock, when you dig deep into him, when you keep going even when it's slow, and when you've learned how to rest in him. Now, I'm not sure what hymns Reverend Sherrod was singing in prison that got him tossed into solitary confinement that day, but I'd like to imagine one of them was this, and I'm resisting the urge to sing it now. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let me pray for us. Kind, merciful, and strong, Lord Jesus, our Savior, our friend, and our rock, I ask that all of us would be convicted in the ways that we have tried to build our lives upon sand. And I also ask that all of us would feel the pull of your invitation to instead come and build our lives upon you, because you are a rock. You love us. Help us as we look ahead to the next year to do that, and I pray that it would be transformative, even if it's only transformative in small ways that other people can't see. Help us to build our lives upon you, Lord Jesus. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.